the other dimension of Pope Francis's papacy the synod on the marriage. Now, obviously, like I said, this is the second <coughs> synod. The first one was the extraordinary synod, and it was preceded by a questionnaire that went up through the whole entire world to ask people, priests, bishops, what do they need, what does the family need to sort of <coughs> gather all that information. Then you have the extraordinary synod, and then this coming fall will be the synod. And from all of that discussion, all of that back and forth, they formulated different statements that they will use as the basis for the synod coming up. Not that it's going to be limited to that. But we have to see in, in many ways that it's all what Francis calls a process. It's all about a process. Now, there have always been sort of challenges, if we can say, in the church, always. We could go back to you know, the beginnings uh, of the church, you know, whether somebody should be circumcised or whether somebody was Aryan. For, for the first couple hundred years of the church, there were all those tremendous trials. I think at one point there were... 80% of the episcopacy in the entire church was Arian. Heretical. We see different developments, etc. Like we see the whole thing of contraception, how challenging that was. And how the church came forth with natural family planning and humane vitae and human life. And, you know, we're still trying to sort that out. It wasn't an easy thing to, to, to handle. I mean, even Paul VI, right? He, he, he appointed this theological commission. They came up with a long study, you know, about contraception, and they came up with a conclusion. It's good. And then he, as Peter, literally pushed aside that study and wrote Humanae Vitae and talked about the importance of the unitive and the procreative, and etc. And it's a beautiful document. If you've never read it, it is beautiful. But we also know how that was taken you know, to the press and to the world and how people rebelled. And, you know, it's it's a statement that the church has made and we could have gone one way or the other. In a sense said, no, this is what the church is teaching. So we saw that challenge and we're still working with that. But you see how the church always rises to the occasion and always brings about a greater good, always. Then we see the whole sexual revolution and we see John Paul II coming out and you know, giving us the whole <laughs> theology of the body. Astounding, beautiful. It's just a remedy, in a sense, for the sexual revolution. That Catholics aren't brutes. That we, we realize God created this great gift. We saw different things of the, the, the liturgy, how people tried to hijack the Second Vatican Council. It wasn't intended to be that way, in the way of the, you know, trying to change things and trying to run with it. It just wasn't, that wasn't the way it was, it was expected. I mean, and, and of course we see that g the church and God can always bring about a greater good. We saw how Benedict XVI resigned. We're like, that can happen. <laughs> and you know, the cardinals were all wondering as he's giving this discourse, right, in Latin. I'm saying something here that is very important for the life of the church. Of course, he's saying it all Latin and all the cardinals are saying, what's he saying? 
<laughs> Learn your Latin, right? I'm not a very good Latinist myself, so I'm with the Curie of ours. So we see, you know, the, these great challenges, and of course, we also know that the whole thing of the family is not anything new either. John Paul II foresaw this, and he foresaw all the, I think, all the violence. He added two phrases to the end of the litany to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Our Lady, right, of the family, pray for us. Our Lady of Peace, pray for us. So, you know, he realizes, you know, the familiarized consortia on the, on the family, you know, that we see that he foresaw that the church is always way ahead of what's happening and, and, and predicting and, and sort of with the ground the groundswell and the, and the preparation for the difficulties that are coming. So when we talk about this extraordinary synod, we find ourselves in a situation where there's a lot of press, we're talking about the family, there's a lot of controversy. And surrounding, you know, Francis, what's he's, what is he going to do and, you know, what are they going to say and that particular statement. And we see, in a sense, the beauty also which the Pope has r relied upon the ordinary faithful. He's a big believer in the belief of the faith of the ordinary people. This is a big theme of his. You're not going to pull one over on the ordinary faithful. It is not. Like even, you know, Nestorius, when he was saying that Mary should not be declared the mother of God. And he sort of played on that himself. He said, you know, everybody in the whole town was chanting, Mary, mother of God, Mary, mother of God, Mary, mother of God. And, you know, they got their way. I think they were afraid they weren't going to get out alive. So they voted it, you know, Mary, mother of God. Right? But we, we see, okay, we have a situation here where, you know, Francis is bringing the whole thing of the family to the light and everything surrounding the family, marriage, sexuality, homosexuality, gay marriage, okay, it's all tied in. And I have to say, I am just amazed that he has got the courage to be able to confront it and go after it. He doesn't let any stones unturned. I mean, it's impressive. <laughs> he is, he's, it's, it's, it's intense. And so while we see all this, you know, the, the, the firestorm and all the media and all the challenges, we, we also realize that we are being governed by the Holy Spirit and we have to make acts of faith in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is who guides the church, not to mention the Holy Father. And he is Peter. And in a way, we have to stick with Peter. It's with Peter. We are with Peter. We may not like sometimes things that he might say, or like we're going to see something that was in the press, or, you know, we, we, we might be, you know, taken aback by maybe the interpretation, maybe by what he says, maybe the way he says it. But ultimately, what we have to see is that the, the Holy, I think Father Jim alluded to that, that the you know, Holy Spirit is working here. And we all know that the, that the family needs this grace and, it's, and this time. And it, I don't find it uh, to be something, you know, just a coincidence. I don't believe in any coincidences. Everything's providential that, of course, the World Day for the family is going to be in the United States this year. <laughs> Tell me that wasn't providential and that he's going to come to the United States. I wonder what he's going to say. So we realize this is all out there and that you know, we, we, we see that there, there are a number of things 
that are being presented, and we have to read, we have to keep informed. We realize that more so than anything, it is a debate that's taken outside of, in a sense, the meeting with bishops. It's, it's like worldwide, and it's instantaneous. With the internet, with the communications, with journalists, it's unbelievable. And I find that to be, on one hand, challenging, but I also find it to be fascinating. Father, did you see? I'm like, uh, I haven't seen the news this morning, uh, right? I mean, you know, people are on it. And you gotta bend your toes. Ultimately, what we have to see through this historical analysis is that the church will always bring about a greater good. Always. God will always win. God will always win. And the other thing is, I began, with the, I began this whole conference talking about the fact that upon this rock I shall build my church. This is the Pope. This is Peter. And, you know, he's not infallible in every, absolutely every little thing he does. But when it comes down to what they write, yeah, you better look at that, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of these controversial issues. But, like, what comes out from that synod and from that collegiality of those bishops and cardinals, you know, you got to look at it and you got to pray about it and discover what's behind that. Now, one of the things that I'd like to do, if you've ever, and, and pardon me for this small whiteboard, but this is what we've got. No, that's okay, that's okay. So I'm going to draw something which I call the pyramid of love. It's only about the millionth time I've done this. But it just, it's, 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 it's a play on the four loves that the Greeks used to talk about, right? There are four loves. And I want to present this in a way because it'll explain some things in the con communications connections that there are between love, marriage, family, society. Okay? So I call this the pyramid of love. And pardon me if I, you know, stand in the way. The pyramid of love. I think you can get it online too. But in any event, the first thing that we have is man and woman who loving each other through what we call eros, the first kind of love, right? Erotic love, passionate love, right? They, through their marriage, so if we just stopped here and we said, well, here is man and woman, but can they just create a child or just love each other on their own? No. You need God. So God is at the point of the pyramid, man and woman at their base. They have to love each other in God. If they don't, they're just a line. It's very unstable. Loving each other in God, they come up with a child. Child number one. The love between a parent and a child is called storge, which is like affection. You know, the parental love. And that can even, you can have that, so they can describe that in animals, right? Then they have another child. In God, child number two, and the love between two children is called Philly. I mean, Philia. Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. So those are the three loves, right? The love between a man and a woman, which is marriage. The love between parent and child, right? That forms not just a marriage, but all of a sudden then you have a family. And then when you have the love between two children, which is friendship, then you have three loves, in a sense, which form society. 
but you have no love unless you have the love of God inspiring all of them and the fourth love is called agape which is a purely spiritual love now why is this important well because in a way what we have to see as far as the family goes the family starts we could even say with self-love I mean if I really wanted to start with just ourselves and then with marriage which is not just eros but it's eros informed by agape it's a it's a physical love inspired by physical emotional love inspired by the spiritual you don't have the spiritual it's very weak and then of course you see that the the base of this pyramid is really four ways you know between the mother and the child the father and the child and then the child with another child etc I call this the pyramid of love and what we could say too is that the family which could be represented by a, a by the uh, what I call the tetrahedron right the, which is mother father child with God that particular image is a building block of society we call that the basic cell of society society is made up of what the families are made up of what did John Paul II say family be what you are when he was in st. Louis I was there it's really cool when the Pope comes to your own city and you know everybody because yeah, otherwise you know you know he, he might go to a city or whatever and you see the Pope and it's pretty dynamic but when he comes to your city and you're like oh I know that bishop and I know that priest and I know that guy and, and it's kind of funny it's more dynamic well anyway when he came in uh, to st. Louis in 1998 in, in January I think it was January 26th he said family as the family goes so goes the nation right because again the family is the building block of society and also for the church and what do we call that we call it the domestic church that each family is like a little church and each family makes up this church so when you start toying with you know the family or you start toying with marriage or you start toying with individual holiness you're starting to mess with the foundations you're shaking the foundations and so in this time of history we obviously see that quite frankly they have they have been trying to deconstruct the identity of persons the deconstruction of individual identity they have deconstructed they're trying to deconstruct marriage they're deconstructing family and therefore they're deconstructing society they're not going to be successful in this this is the challenge that God has placed in the church's path and the church will rise. it is rising doesn't mean to say that it doesn't have waves and issues and you know there are people here this guy or this theologian right this is the challenge and the church is rising to a challenge and will bring about a greater greater end a greater finality and so we look at say for example this particular challenge that we see of this of this of this particular synod the extraordinary synod we saw how these different you know little blurbs were formed to create the working document for the synod itself they're not the final say and so that's why Francis in his statement you know after the synod basically said this is not the final say you know this is these this is just a working document you know you know at the same time we could see 
that sometimes there's, it creates a little bit of confusion and storms, right? And people are like, whoa, what was that? And what's going on here? And why is this person being supported? And you know, what's that idea with respect to you know, marriage, et cetera? So what we have to realize is, again, that the Holy Spirit's working here and that this is just a working document. I mean, you know, would I bet my life on the fact that you know, the Pope is never going to declare something that's against the faith? If it hasn't happened up to this point, I really don't think. But then you can say, yeah, but he resigned, you know? Or whatever. But I just don't, I don't see that. If, if that happens or if, it per, you're, if it's a perception, then in a sense what we have to do is to say, well, okay, well, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, if, if God permitted that, what is he permitting? I just don't see it, frankly. That, say, for example, one of the issues that they talk about is, okay, you know, communion for the divorced and remarried. This is one of the issues, right? And this is one of the hot button issues. And you know what? We hate to really spend so much time, and this needs to be dealt with, but to spend so much time when you have so many amazing families, and we should be talking about how we're developing beautiful families and, you know, forming beautiful families and get their input and, and keep doing that. In any event, whatever the case may be, we have to deal with the difficulties because in a sense you take care of those and the other stuff in a sense should be smoother, right? But like one of the things that I thought, and I'm going to switch pyramids. I'm going to switch pyramids on you. I'm going to make another pyramid. And this one is the pyramid not of society, but this is the pyramid of the, of the person. And a person, in a sense, connected to God, and a person has a mind, a heart, or a will, if you will. He has emotions, sentiments, passions. And we're all connected. And so many times what we have to realize is that, that when we think about ourselves as a person with a mind, and a heart, will, or emotions, that we have to look at these things and we say, well, how do I make a decision on these? How do I understand, right? So for example, the mind has rules. It follows rules. And it could be in the form of faith, which is like, this is faith. Or it could be canon law, which is canon law. It's ecclesiastical law. Or it could be civil law. And we have rules, right? And we apply the rules with virtues, like prudence, inside the practical mind, to make a judgment on a particular issue. So for example, the rule is, I use this example all the time, and forgive me, I'm not telling anybody to break the law, but like you're going down the Eisenhower, the speed limit is 55. If you go 55, I think you're going to get hurt. <laughs> the rule is the law is 70 to, or 55 and you're like people are blowing by you coming behind you you're like what do I do could I break the law they never pull that many people over I mean you got to be going like 95 before they pull you over I'm not telling you to go against the law but I'm telling you to be prudent <laughs> father should I speed I said uh
you know? I said, well, don't go more than 10 over. No. <laughs> Drive under the radar, you know? So in a way, we have to use prudence to be able to adapt the rule, to measure the rule. We have to, we have to measure the rule with the virtue. In the case of somebody who is receiving Holy Communion, that's the rule. The rule is somebody who's divorced and remarried should not receive communion because they're outside of the state of grace. They're, in theory, they're living in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a situation which is not with the grace of God. And anybody who's not in the grace of God should not be going to communion, not just that situation. If somebody's in a state of serious sin, canon law says, boom. You know, and, and theology says, boom. You, know, you, you need to be in a state of sin. Now, some people don't know that. Their consciences might not be aware of that. And so that's different. And that's why some people say, well, are they really in a state of serious sin? They could be going to communion and divorce and remarriage for 30 years and not even on their conscience. Is that a sin? Only God knows, right? But what needs to measure it also is not just you know, the rule, but we also have charity. Love. And love is, okay, well, this is, this is the rule, you know, but we want people to become close to God. So is there a situation, uh, you know, when there's a divorced and remarried couple who can, out of love, sort of adapt themselves so that they can receive communion? Yes. There is a situation. It's not an easy thing. And I know a number of couples that are in this situation that do this. They have been, they have been divorced, they have been remarried outside of the church, and they are living as brother and sister. They're not sinning, basically, if we could see, because in a sense that's not a legitimate marriage. And they live that way, as brother and sister. And then they can go to communion. And then the other dimension of that is you cannot scandalize other people because people would think, hey, they're not, they're, they're like, you know, they're divorced and remarried and they're going to communion. How is that possible? Right? Well, you know, the other stipulation is go to a parish where people, in a sense, don't know that. And a lot of times people have moved or have gone different places and people don't know that. And that's part of not causing scandal. Like, oh, I guess that's okay. So when they say you can receive communion, right, you can in that circumstance. So it's not like impossible. And I'm bringing this up because this was a case, right, this is one of the controversial issues. And just to provide, in a sense, a pastoral situation where, yeah, no, I mean, it's, there's a possibility here. Not easy, right? And who knows what the consciences are of people? And this is a little bit what Francis is saying. He's saying, you know, God, you know, God only knows, and so he's trying to make provision to help people, to love people, and not to judge people, and you know, because everybody's unique and everybody's got their own journey, right? And then even the whole thing with marriages, right? We we know, you know, the whole thing. Even Fran even Benedict brought up the whole thing, the question of whether there's a marriage if there was faith. I mean, Benedict alludes to this. He says, this has to be studied because if there's no faith, how can, I, how can I have a sacrament if I don't have faith? And you're like, whoa. And of course, the statement by the cardinal who preceded Bergoglio, who basically made this statement that he felt like there were 50% of the marriages that weren't valid out there. Remember when that came out? It was like, 
The Pope said that? Well, no, no. The Pope said that because this previous cardinal had said that. Because of the faith issue. Because if somebody says, you know, uh, we're, you know we're making a, a contract, well, you know, if there's no faith, is there a sacrament? Now, boy, that opens the door to a lot of possibilities, right? So, and I'm hitting the hot button issues just because of the fact that we only have so much time. Right? I mean, you know, I love to talk about this to normal families and everything, and, and really, I'm like, I wish that could be the case, and, and that we could just focus on that, but we gotta deal with what reality deals with. And we have to take it on. And yeah, there's gonna, there's some storms, and there's confusion, there's a lot of discussion. I have to say that it's, it's created an awful lot of people the opportunity, has given them the gift to examine their consciences about their situations. A lot of people are like, wait, what, what's my deal? Regardless of, you know, what, what sort of message was coming from the start. So you understand a little bit, too, that the emotions can get in here, which are irrational. You know, I don't feel right about that. Oh, how do you feel about that? You know? And so the emotions can sometimes blind the intellect, the mind, I don't think I don't agree with that. And that may be the right reaction, because that may be the truth. Right? If you said Jesus Christ was only a man, you go, I don't feel that that's the case. He's God. And you would say, yeah, right? You need to get passionate about that, because that's dogma. Another thing is what they're saying in this case is, well, discipline. What about discipline? You know, I mean, because it used to be that people who were divorced. Right, could not go to communion. Now they can. Right? That was a change of discipline. Provided, of course, that they're in the state of grace, that they're, right? I mean, provided that they're living the life of faith, right? But that was a change, right? That was an ex example of, of how there was a change, you know, more openness to people who, in these difficult circumstances. So we're talking about how the, the person has to, in a sense, use their abilities and watch what the church is saying to try and make some of these decisions and to, to be able to, to pray through things and to know, okay, is the Holy Spirit working here? Right? I mean, this is, this is an important thing that we're watching. And, and again, I don't think we're really talking about the majority of people, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about people that are in tough situations. But remember, Francis is all about each person. You matter to me. You, right? And so, you know, we see how he's not afraid to try and confront the situation and to, like he says with this whole synodal process, he says in his statement, he says, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be open to the surprises of God. Like, I personally am amazed, you know, the whole natural family planning thing was a surprise of God. That was amazing. The world was pushing this whole thing and like all of a sudden, natural family planning. Where did that come from? <laughs> right? I mean, that was astounding. So he, you know, the, the Holy Father is basically saying this, you know. And now, what's interesting is he, the, the thing that's, the statement that I gave you, the, the handout, is the last statement that he made at the end of the sin. He listened and he listened and everyone was fighting it out. It's like a dad watching his sons like slug at each other, you know. It's just, okay, you know. You know, because he really is a believer and just listening and let everybody listen and say and, you know. And, and then he comes out and basically makes these statements to say, you know, we've got we've to watch these temptations. 
you know, to avoid the, the temptation of hostile inflexibility or, you know, the temptation of destructive tendency to goodness, bon, bonismo, you know, or the temptation to come down off the cross to please people. I mean, you know, temptation to neglect the depositum fide. So he goes on. It's, un, it's masterful. He got like a four-minute ovation from all the bishops after the statement. And, of course, part of it was, okay, you, you know, God may have a surprise here. And he trusts in the Holy Spirit. But he also says, I'm Peter. And you have to meet under Peter and with Peter. Right? He says, I am Peter. And he doesn't mince words. And he basically says, at the, in the end, it's going to be on me. He says, as, and as I have dared to tell you, as I told you from the beginning of the synod, it was necessary to live through all this with tranquility and with interior peace so that the synod would take place cum petro and sub petro, with Peter and under Peter. And the presence of the Pope is the guarantee of it all. This is his Romanness coming out. This is his Italianness, right? And everyone's like, well, okay. And this is what we trust in. This is the grace of the Holy Spirit, of his office, right? And so he, he's basically also, what I, at least what I read in this, he refuses to be pegged as a progressive, as a liberal, as a conservative, as a whatever. He refuses. He's just, I'm not, this is part of his being an eel, you know? I don't want to be pegged anything, you know? He just, he's just like, just, I don't want, you know, just... And, and, that's, and that's the way, it sh in some ways, it should be. I mean, we all are, di all of us are unique. We all have a different mind, different heart, different emotions. We all have different opinions. None of us are Jesus. <laughs> None of us. You know, and, 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 uh, you know, and we, we all have a different vision of the world, and we all have to keep looking to the church to understand what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, you know, how we live our lives, and we keep adjusting ourselves. I mean, he, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, that's how he defines himself. Who is Jorge Mario Bergoglio? He says, he's a sinner. I'm a sinner. And everyone's like, oh. You know, like, so am I, I guess. It doesn't mean to say he's all sin. I mean, we're not just all sin. We are sinners, but we're children of God. As you heard his credo, I am a sinner, but I'm a son of God. So, yes, we understand their sin, and, and he realizes their sin, and he is literally going to the peripheries, like he said, the existential peripheries, to deal with the difficulties. And he's going physically, geographically, and as we saw, like I said, a couple weeks ago, he had the transgender man, who was a woman, his, his pastor called him the, the daughter of the devil, because she had the sex change, and then now she, he has a fiancé, I don't know all the details of that. Maybe he was, you know, hermaphrodite. You know, maybe he had both. You know, and these things have to be taken into consideration. If anybody's interested, there's an article. It's called it's called Gender, by a woman by the name of Judah Burgraf, and she explains in six beautiful pages gender and how to understand gender and the agenda of the people who have been pressing gender. And basically, to take into consideration, it's not just a physical thing. It's physical, it's psychological, it's sociological, it's political. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful how she explains this. Ultimately, the normal biological thing is the issue, but that's not always the norm. And you have to take into consideration the exceptional, because we're dealing with a person. And that's why when this guy wrote 
Bergoglio said, all right. You know, he calls him. <laughs> I just, he makes these phone calls, you know. So this is uh, Francis. <laughs> and the guy's like, really? I have to tell you a funny story. This is sort of a side story, but we're talking about serious stuff. Once he came to a, a recollection sponsored by the priest of Opus Dei because he was invited, he just showed up at the door. They told him when it was or whatever, and he showed up at the door. And, and uh, it was the time and the place or whatever, but he didn't realize that week there wasn't a recollection for some reason. And so he rings the doorbell, and the, there's a speaker box. And the, the guy says, hello. And he goes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's Bergoglio. And the guy says, yeah, and I'm Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so he goes down to answer the door, and he goes, oh, oh, Cardinal, I'm so sorry. I, 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 I didn't know, and he just, you know, he goes, I'm here for the recollection. He goes, oh, it's not today. And he goes, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, whatever. He goes, no big deal. I should have called in advance, whatever. And then he goes back and gets on the bus. <laughs> you know, he's just, OK, anyway. So <laughs> the, the point is, is that he, you know, the, the, the point is, is that, you know, he, each person is unique. And he's got to deal with each situation. And he's got to immerse himself in the situation. And so he meets with this one person. What is your situation? Gives him a call. Sets up the appointment. Has him come in. Everyone's like, oh my gosh. You know, what is the pope doing here? You know, this is a person who is loved by God, who is loved by Jesus Christ, who is in a situation. He's in the situation. We don't, you don't know. You know, everybody's got their, their history past. I mean, it's complicated. Not to mention what the devil can do. We haven't even touched on that yeah. you know and 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 of course you know the the person needs to be listened to compassion he's giving an example for every pastor to just he's not saying this is okay now some people will say well by doing that you know well not necessarily I mean he's listening you know and I read a you know a website that basically said well he's not exactly for this whole thing you know and criticize you know but the point is is that each person is unique, and we have to love them the way they are. And, 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 and in a sense, we have to, to try to help them to come closer to the truth, whatever the situation, the fullness of the truth, no matter what. And, and the Pope's giving that example. Um, I'm looking at my time here. We, uh, we're getting close. So one of the videos, you know, just to show sort of like these whole press conference things, I have to say, personally, that and, and he himself supposedly said he wasn't like the best at press conferences. That's like not his forte. And I do have to say that perhaps, you know, maybe it's not prudent, it's not prudent to necessarily have a press conference and just go off the cuff. Right? Benedict looked like he did that, but every word was sculpted and prepared. Every question was prepared. Because he knows what the potential are potential situations are with the press and how they can take things and spin it. So I do think that, you know, that maybe there's a question of privilege, but he is who he is, and he is speaking. And he's, you know, even if he wrote what he said, you know, you can take anything out of context. You know, so if you go back and you look at the texts, say, for example, about the, you know, the, the situation, well, who am I to judge, right? Well, if you go back to that, I mean, and read the whole thing and the case and the situation, we don't really have time. I was going to read that, but we just don't have time. 
you realize that he is, it's a whole other ballgame. It's a whole other ballgame of what he said and what he was saying and how he was framing it. One of the ones I did want to show you, just because it's a little more current, was the whole rabbit comment. Okay? And I was really touched by this when I actually saw it, when I actually saw what he said and how he said it. And so maybe we can, we can roll that and, and watch. Now, it's in Spanish. Se habla español aquí. So it's in Spanish. So we're going to see. asked Pope Francis about birth control during an impromptu press conference on the papal plane, Pope Francis said contraception isn't the answer, but rather, quote, responsible parenthood. And he explained it with graphic words. Alcuni credono che, scusatemi la parola, che per essere buoni cattolici dobbiamo essere come conigli, no? No. Paternità responsabile. Questo è chiaro. Responsible parenthood, meaning Catholic couples in good conscience should decide how many children they can raise. Through his words, the Pope defended natural planning methods. The most popular one is known as the Billings ovulation method. He also talked about future travel plans. In September, the Pope will visit three cities, Philadelphia, New York, and Washington, D.C., but a trip to Mexico will have to wait. Sì, le tre città sono quelle Philadelphia per l'incontro delle famiglie, New York che ho la data già de, ma non ricordo della eh, visita alle Nazioni Unite e Washington. He also denounced corruption, sharing how once, back in Argentina, he was offered roughly $400,000 to help the poor. But in exchange, money laundering was involved. In quel momento io ho pensato, cosa fare? O l'insulto e le do un calcio dove non dà il sole? O... Mi faccio lo scemo. Mi ho fatto lo scemo. Ho detto, ma con la verità, ho detto, ma lei sa che noi nelle vicarie non abbiamo conto. Lei deve fare il deposito in arcevescovato con la ricevuta. E lì è tutto. Ah, non sapevo, piacere e se sono andati. One of the passengers, Mexican journalist Valentina Alasraki, celebrated her birthday that day. So a little impromptu celebration was held on the plane with the Vatican's press corps and the Pope. the whole deal. Now, what moved me about that all, I mean, that, that scene when he talks about the rabbits, what you notice, he says, now, you know, he gets to be very, like, pensive. He's very spiritual. He's reflecting. And he says, now, forgive me for the words I'm going to use here. And then he says, Catholics do not have to reproduce like rabbits. 
Cornel. And he says, now, you know, because apparently somebody said that at one point some lady came up to him and said, do Catholics have to reproduce like rabbits? And, you know, so he's, he uses all these experiences of his life and they come back, right? And so he says this with such, I think, a lot of respect and a lot of piety. And of course, then what does it come out, you know? Well, the, you know, the press says, oh, he, you know, the Catholics don't have to reproduce like rabbits. And, you know, that's not what he said. He says, forgive me for using these words. And then he goes into it, and then he says, and then the one journalist asks him, well, what about the number three in the Philippines? Each average woman has three children. And he's like, I'm sorry to hear that. He says, the average natality is, 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 you know, for every woman is three. It's just barely replacement. And then he goes on to the whole thing. Now, one of the things he does say in that same press conference is he says, I knew a woman, you know, because he was talking about responsible parenthood, I knew a woman who had eight cesarean sections. And I thought that was irresponsible. Now, I don't know who that woman is, but you know, she's world famous now. But <laughs> I know a woman who's had 14. And she was amazing. She's an, she's an incredible woman. And you know, I, I sort of joked. I, I was saying you know, before, I was like, you know, I think you should give him a call and say you're really upset at him, and you, he owes you an apology. And maybe you'll get a phone call from him and you say, hey, Francis called me, he apologized. <laughs> Because not too many women have 14 cesarean sections. I mean, she was amazing. Now, at the same time, she almost died a couple times. And they weren't, you know, it, it, it's a long story. But the, the point is, is that I think that's what the Pope was saying. You know, it's, it's not like the church is saying, you got to have more, you got to have more. Well, you got to be responsible. Responsible parenthood. And this is the key. Now, I come from a family of 12. And I joke with people, I said, if my parents weren't generous, I wouldn't be here because I was 10 of 12. Right? I'm number 10, you know? I'm like, I wouldn't be here. So we, but it's not the point. The point is, every person has their call and their vocation, their family, you know, and it's complicated. Every person's situation is unique. When to use natural family planning? Well, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a reason usually, and you gotta be prudent, you gotta consult. I mean, it's not simple. Everybody is unique, and everybody's at a different stage in their spiritual life. And everybody can take so much. You know, everyone's different. So it's tricky, you know, and you can't just make all these rules, you know, saying we have all these rules. No, Catholics should have five. <laughs> well, you know, that's ridiculous. Or like the, you know, the, the, the Jews, I think the Orthodox Jews, couples should make love at least once a week. Orthodox Jews, that's it. They must, by obligation, make love once a week. Whoa, really? I mean, you know, that's a rule. I mean, I don't know how serious the rule is, and I don't know how if anybody follows it, right? But out of charity, for the love of God, whatever that means. It could be more than once a week. It could be less. I mean, you know, it's just, you can't put rules on these things sometimes, right? Otherwise, we're, we're casuistic. We're, we're, it's all about cases and studies and rules and regulations, and each person is unique. So in a way, I think these issues are sort of drawing all these things out and obviously in the context of the family, and you, you, know, you can see how, because it's so public, and he's unplugged, and this is the way he operates, again, you know, he's saying what's off the cuff, and, and what he's saying are pretty impressive things. And maybe he may make some mistakes, or maybe say something bad, and it's tricky. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's you're like, whoa, do you say that? <laughs> but 
I mean, I think when you realize, you look at him and you see what he's saying, you're like listening, it's a different story. So I guess the bottom line is, when it comes to what the Pope's saying or what you've seen in the, ra in the radio and the press, find out what he really said, find out what the translation was like, because sometimes traductore traiatore, the translator, tra he is a traitor. That's a famous Italian phrase. The translator is a traitor. Now the other thing that's difficult about Jorge Mario Bergoglio is his, Bergoglio, his Bergoglio-isms. That he has these phrases that they're like, what's he talking about? He makes stuff up. He's like Shakespeare. <laughs> he makes words up. Like the other day he was talking to the youth in the Philippines and he says, we don't need any jovenes museos, which means any young museums. And everyone's like, what is he talking about? You know, what is a young museum? And he's talking about how they take in all this information in their minds, but then it never reaches their hearts. Right? He says, you've got to ask yourself, are you taking all this information into your minds, but does it reach your hearts? It was just interesting. You know, just, but he makes these phrases up. Or like um, another one is, you know, abriaquismo. Um, it's like, I can't even translate. Like, abriaquismo. You got to do it, or this, this has to be done. We would say, this should be done, or this should be done. But this should be done-ism. That's sort of what he's saying. This is a this should be done-ism. Or we should do this-ism. You know? <laughs> You're like, what, what? You know, everyone's like, what is he saying? OK, so I think with respect to these issues, oh, and we really need to stop here. Um, with these issues, I think it's important that we study it, we, we think about it, we pray for it. The devil can do a lot of stuff. And there are people who are not, uh, you know, who are not necessarily, you know, with the church. Whether it's somebody who's Catholic or not Catholic, or the press, or whatever, they're, they're always trying to misconstrue and maybe take this guy captive and twist him around. You know, we have to know what the truth is. And we know in our country what can happen when people play with the press, you know. You got to read four sources to find out what really happened, if that. I mean, I've been at events and they describe it, and you're like, really? Was I was there, you know? I didn't, you know? So, you know, none of us is the truth either. So, anyway, I, I tried my best here to describe some of the dynamics and tried to give you a little bit of a, a way to interpret things and another way of, you know, seeing. You know how you can analyze some tools that you can use to analyze some of these things. So you know, as we head forward into the synod, obviously we pray, and we you know we 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 watch, and we are the faithful. God is relying on all of us, all of us, not just a clerical gig. Right, and and you know you people, I know many of you, you know heroic, just awesome, incredible families. That's ultimately in the end what's going to matter. You know, is that people do the best they can in their situation according to what God wants, and they're going to bring about what Paul VI would say is the new civilization of love. That's what we're witnessing. We're witnessing the new evangelization, the springtime of the gospel. Francis is leading the charge, right? And he's, you know, pointing in the direction, but ultimately it comes down to each of us, you know? And so it's very powerful. It's very powerful to see this. They're all, I mean, the times of the church are always powerful. But this is quite spectacular because of the global dimension of what we're watching and how we're watching 
And we have to defend the faith, and we have to protect the faith, and we have to love our faith. We have to, more importantly, love people, love each other, you know? To bring about this new civilization of love, we have to love the Holy Father, we have to love the church, you know, even though the people in the church are not the church. It's not just the people. I mean, it's part of it. To look beyond and to see that, you know, that Christ, in a sense, is, is there. And he's the one, and he's basically told us, you know, that he's guaranteed us, in a sense. The solidity of the institution of the papacy, despite the person, really, and also, you know, the, the, the power and the, the, the inspiration of the magisterium of the church. Does anybody have any questions? First of all, Mark, thank you so much for your wonderful presentation. Thank you.